Coming up next, Return of the King, book six. His name is Tolkien. He was really mean. He wanted to make that green. He ripped out Brandon's spleen. Then he filled the hole with beans. Yeah, he was a psychopath. Yeah, he never took a bath. Yeah, you heard Tolkien's wrath when he came into Brandon's bathroom. (laughs) That might have gone off the rails here at the end. (laughs) I feel like that did go off the... I was with you there for a while, but then... (laughs) everybody... Welcome to... Uh, Tolkien really needed to use Brandon's bathroom. He was visiting, and this is the story. And he uh, really needed to, and he did not like the way that Brandon's ba- bathroom was set up. And I wouldn't get out either. And Brandon wouldn't get out. He was like, get out, man. <laughs> and Brandon's like, I'm washing my hands, bro. And Tolkien's like, I'm going to rip your spleen out, and I'm going to fill it with beans, my friend. <laughs> the classic revenge gambit. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> My spleen has been just beans ever since. Brandon's spleen has been beans ever since. That's what happens when Nathan spits bars. What is it, you ask? Quality podcasting, yo! Welcome to The Booketing. My name is Nathan Albertson. I'm your humble and obedient host. That's Brandon. He's the scholar who's a baller of reading. That's Jake. That's kind of like spitting bars right there. And Speaking of spitting bars, Jake likes to go into bars and spit. (laughs) He does. He's known as the bar spitter. He is the bar spitter, yeah. That's, that's the real reason he had to move to Evansville. Yeah, he's gone to every t- bar in Bloomington. And he was banned. So yeah, and Jake's like, if I can't drink yeah. in Bloomington, what am I even doing here, man? So now he's working his way slowly through Evansville. Spitting, and he just walks into a bar. Did you spit saliva? Or are you chewing tobacco? Tell us a little bit more about this weird practice of yours, Jake. <laughs> Stock Christmas, y'all. Oh, he reads that. Stock Christmas, y'all. Wow. We had such a quality riff going there. I can't believe we have to abandon that. Hey, guys. I I forgot about that. I don't know why I'm in a good mood, but I am. (laughs) Maybe it's because- Nathan in a good mood, guys. Yeah. This is me in a good mood. Maybe it's because we are reading Tolkien. Ask not what Tolkien can do for you. Ask what you can do for Tolkien. Classic uh, JFK impersonation. Yep, I'm. I, I'm reaching Every out four to, episodes now. I'm nowadays. reaching out to the kids. I, okay. I want to make sure that kids <laughs> love all this our podcast. References are on point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. JFK. I want to bring in a younger generation to love literature. That's my goal. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'll tell you what is here nor there, though. Brandon, Return of the King, Book Six. Let's talk about it. What do you guys think? Love it. It's great. Can we go home now? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, so you guys love this book. What do you love about it? Book six, the little hobbits take the ring. They try to throw it in. Their plan looks like it's thwarted, but then it isn't. Hooray! Sounds like- Yay, Sam! Yay, Sam. Yay, Gollum! Yeah. Good dancing. Or bad dancing, thankfully, for the world's sake. Yeah, good payoff of that character. Good payoff of the whole tension as to whether or not Frodo's going to actually be able to do it, and then he can't. He's and- not. He can't. So it helps you see, wow, this was bad. and helps you forgive Isildur a little bit, I guess, if you've been holding a grudge against him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could barely get through this book. <laughs> there are claw marks in the cover of my book. I don't wear Isildur. Isildur! You've ruined it all. You're like Star-Lord in the... Yes, you are. And that does make me mad. Yeah. Like, Star-Lord should have been executed for his incompetence. <laughs> yes. That would have been a good ending to... <laughs> Who likes Chris Pratt anyway? Nobody does. I really feel like Chris Pratt's moment is past, but... It's long past. He ruined it for himself. Yeah. So you got those three chapters where they're struggling to get the old ring to Mordor. Yeah. Probably the only chapter that... It's not even... It's not a slog, but it's just the one you're like, okay, I'd I'd like this to just get done is the first one. When they're up in the tower with the orcs and stuff, you're just... I feel like I've heard Jake say some really pretty nice things about that chapter, and really? th- he might be ready to disagree with you. I just like living with Sam and Frodo, so... But, this, and, but remember, this is the chapter where Frodo 
Didn't you tell me your kids really like Sam gets past the watchers and oh then he- yeah, they love that whole thing. Everything where like the orcs are walking around like there's a giant elf warrior among us, and then Sam coming around the corner. I'm an elf warrior and all hilarious. that. Stuff, all that stuff. The kids. They ate that stuff up. They well, then we'll just so we'll chalk it up cool. to me reading it on my own without reading it to my kids. Yeah, which is fair. You are yeah. an adult. You have a different so, brain and different expectations than children. Yeah. And you don't like reading things to your children. Yeah, right. I hate reading to my children. Yeah. Right. Really, let's just take out the reading things. You hate your children. Yeah. I mean, that was implied, but we might as well make it explicit. Yeah. I yeah. like to just make sure they are as far away from me as possible at yeah. all times. Yeah. No, my kids really ate that... that I mean, they had already gotten so invested in Sam by the time that Sam had done the whole Shelob thing. And so now Sam, I don't think they identified with any character throughout the course of the novel more than Sam. He feels like the bumbling guy who doesn't belong there. But when he's pushed to the edge, he can can be awesome. He can be awesome. And so now Sam has to be awesome and they just love it. They love Sam managing to bluff and freak out the orcs and all that stuff. Well, we talked a little bit about how it seemed like Tolkien was last time in our last Lord of the Rings episode. We talked about how it seemed like maybe he was losing steam by the time he got to Pelennor Fields. And Brandon, you made the point that it feels like maybe he was just saving his energy yeah. for this. I think that's true because he gives a lot of heft and energy to things like the Watchers and all the little moments and the little sub villains that Sam has to fight his way through. Yeah. That stuff all is well described and well evoked. And. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just has real narrative heft that nothing in Pelennor Fields particularly feels like it has. Uh, What do you guys think about that final assault on Mount Doom? Do you think, I mean, it's the end game of the entire series. Did Tolkien get it right? I think he definitely gets the paranoia and the tension that would be just trying to get to Mount Doom, right? Trying to prevent yourself from getting caught up in the armies and... I think that's a moment where it's not, it doesn't really feel like that he's pulling a rabbit out of his hat. Right. Yeah. Or he plays off the orcs. He already has done enough legwork in the novel to show you that the orcs are always getting into fights and making room for people to escape. Yeah. But it's pretty believable that they would do it again. No, they're just, they're idiots. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they would once again. So that's what happened with Mary. That's what happens. Like that's all over the Mary and Pippin. They escaped because of that. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's believable. Even the Uruk High who are supposed to be the super orcs do it mm-hmm. so yeah all that to say when they get caught up with a marching army it's believable that they'd find a way out but it still makes it tense right yeah yeah and then they get out they have to do things like find water they have to make it there frodo is really like like they're calculating their food they're playing with the whole idea of rationing are we yeah. rationing for a return trip or are we just rationing to get there right and then and they finally make that decision like, oh, oh Fro- Frodo's been saying uh, for a while, we're rationing to get there. And Sam's like, nope. And finally, Sam has that psychological, emotional turn yeah, where he, he's, his hope is broken and he's resigned. Just going through that journey with them is, I think it's really great. I remember as a kid being, uh, what's the word? The ending really hit me perfectly. Like it it had that combination of complete surprise and complete inevitability. The fact that, that Frodo can't do it was a surprise. The fact that Gollum can accidentally do it was a surprise. And the fact that Frodo gets mutilated, loses his finger, was a nasty little piece of business that just made it all feel more earned. Earned, Yeah. Well, I guess the question of how earned it is is an interesting question. Tolkien chooses to spare the hobbits, which had to have been a very conscious... I mean, he had to have thought... He, he spares to, everybody. He spares everybody, but he had to have considered... like, it, one it, or... Is this a better book if Frodo and or Sam, probably both of them, just bite it here? I mean, you could you could imagine a beautiful moment, them in each other's arms. You, you basically get that moment, but yeah. they just get snatched away from it. What happens if you do that, and why did he make the choice that he did? He really wanted to show what happens when you go home. And he didn't feel like he could do that and bring closure to any of the characters without bringing closure to all of the characters together. I think that's really it at the end of the day. I think he could have ended the book there, but he had his heart set on what happens when we go home. Right. What happens next. Yeah. 
as far as books, you can make an argument that the book should have ended there. But as far as books go that give you the what happens next after the big deed is done, Mm -hmm. I don't know that there is a more artful. No, I like it. I don't feel like it's a cop out in the way that, for example, I felt that Harry. Harry Potter is exactly what pops into your head, right? Like Harry should have died. Yeah. Or we should have just been left. If you really wanted Harry to live, we should have just been left there. If you can't kill him and you can't leave ambiguity, okay, fine. The boy who lived lives. And the boy who lived lived happily ever after, however you want to end that. But let's not have him show up at the train station and send their kids off to Hogwarts. Well, I think we all understand. I mean, I think we just have it built into us. I mean, honest, not to get too gospel coalition-y about this, but if there's going to be redemption, if evil is going to be defeated, then the ultimate price has to be paid. A price, a big price narratively must be paid. And Dumbledore, for all his greatness, question mark, question mark, He's not a big enough price. And all the side characters, you know, Snooks yeah. and Tompkins and whatever their names are, they're actually what you need. And so what Tolkien does is really interesting. I think Tolkien had two choices that would be satisfying. A, the hobbits die, end of the book. Or B, the Shire dies for the hobbits. Right. End of the book. What's, what's never an option if the book's actually going to feel right, if it's going to have the narrative weight that it needs to, if it's going to, if we're going to remember it and love it the way that we do is they destroy the ring, everybody survives, everybody's happy. Right. That doesn't make sense. That's cheap. That's not how the world works. Yep. Yeah. So his solution is to have Frodo go to the Grey Havens and leave. Yeah. First, Frodo has to be forced to deal with the fact that, I mean, he basically rubs Frodo's nose in the fact that Frodo can't go home. Yeah, Frodo really tries. He he, he, he wants What to. is it, like 20 years that he's in the Shire just like, trying to make it work and every year his scar bothers him and you know of course first he's got to defeat this petty yeah this this once powerful wizard who commanded these armies and was a rival of sauron Mm -hmm. who's now reduced to being a sharky (laughs) yeah sharky right yeah yeah. which is perfect he's a thug sharky is a great name for like (laughs) just a you know, the gangster down the corner, you know, that steals licorice from, you, yeah. you know, I mean, it's. And, you know, and he can't stand up to Frodo Baggins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. Well, it's awesome seeing them come back because they've seen all these dangers and they come home to this just petty. They're completely. Well, yeah. yeah, you love, you love seeing these silly little firework stealing, vegetable garden robbing bumbling i know a baggins mm-hmm. there's frodo baggins and yeah and oh let me drop this down the well here and see what happens kind of idiots right. like transformed into warriors of a sort and they're still very hobbity but that's just fun yeah well i love that the change has been so gradual that they've just always felt like hobbits when they're they're in the company of gandalf and aragorn and all these gods among men but they go home and it's like, they really stand out They're, I mean, I know I'm saying the most obvious thing in the world. That's just, that's not even subtext. That's text, but it's, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's great. And you get the wonderful thing with Rosie and Sam mm-hmm. Oh yeah. when Frodo's bragging or saying all the wonderful things that Sam had done that he's like the most, one of the most important heroes. They sing and, songs about him yeah. and the rest of the world. And then her face is just over there beaming. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just a sweet moment. And nobody having to face the moment the the reality that nobody here has a clue what they've done yeah yeah nobody here even cares they don't care what frodo and sam have done they weren't even listening when they were being told the story of it yeah now they care about mary and pippin because they're acting like the commanders of the army and they saved hobbits and that's a big deal and they right. go down in the red book and all frodo's doing is trying to keep them from killing everybody yeah and yeah. frodo's just sort of like yeah. And then Frodo just can't. Yeah. They but do, they do their work. They try to restore things. Sam gets to start a family. So he has a life ahead of him and his job's to be whole. But that's a genius bit of healed. narrative work because what you've done is you've had a stealth protagonist. Sam was the, Sam at the end, at the beginning of Return of, the, of this book that we're talking about today becomes the hero of the story. And he basically never stops. And he's the yeah. one that actually gets the happy ending. Meanwhile, yeah. our, our hero's journey hero does what 
in, you know, Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, the hero does, which is come back to the place that he started from and realize like, I'm, I've, my adventures have made me unfit for this place. I mean, this is how, yeah, this is how these stories are supposed to work. Yeah, it's just straight Joseph Campbell. Yeah, it is. And so he has to move on. Yeah. And we all have to face it. And yeah, ha- we face it with them. And Tolkien really wanted us to face and feel that part of it. Yeah, it's really, and, it's really and, bittersweet. Yeah, and there's so much sweetness at the end. Mary and Pippin come. You tried to sneak off from us once before. Yeah. Didn't work then. It's not working now. That's super sweet. Yeah. It's very sweet. I mean, it really does make you annoyed with Harry Potter. There were so many ways to achieve the similar kind of. Well, well the fact to... that I, you know, we can we can start talking about it, and if we're not careful, we'll start crying. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that with Harry Potter. It's robbed of all of that. Yeah. Opportunity. Right. There are so many f- things that you could have done with Harry Potter to make it have that bittersweet. And you, it, there are moments like that, right? But. Yeah, they're not with the three characters and it matters. It needed to be, so she had her Sam, Ron, and Hermione. Harry did not need to have a happy ending. Ron and Hermione should have, and I said this in the Harry Potter episodes, and I'll say it again. They should never have allowed Harry to go down to... to, It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd that they allow Harry to go down to Voldemort alone. The whole thing, the whole beauty of that book is they all have that spirit of, of course you're going alone and I'm coming with you, you yeah. know, Sam Gamgee. If there's like, anything that's the moving one about thing. Harry Potter, that is the one thing that's moving about it, yeah. Yeah, like, and then they let that happen. She lets that happen. And then there's just no, come on, there's just so, give us the moment where Sam says, you know, I, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you, you yeah. know? Mm. Give us the moment where, you know, out of nowhere come Ron and Hermione and or Hagrid and you thought you were going to go do this by yourself. Mm-hmm. No way. You've tried to sneak off before and you've never gotten away with it. You're not getting away with it now. But she's got the gears of her plot that are turning and nothing <sighs> can stand in its way. It's like solving a puzzle instead of like telling a story, which isn't always her problem. She's usually pretty good at making her puzzle feel like a story. But when it counts, she whiffs it. I mean, it. that is her genius, but it failed her at the end. Well, I think it really is a lack of moral courage on her part. I think she does not understand that in order for good to defeat evil, there must be a huge price, price, a cost. And it's not like she chose the happy ending as opposed to Tolkien, who decided to go with a bittersweet ending. I think Tolkien chose the happy ending. But the only way to make the happy ending credible is to have somebody pay a price. Exactly. He chose to make a happy ending for Sam. It's as happy as you can get. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's in Hobbiton. Everything's restored. His favorite garden's back. His tree's blooming. It's, it's, His gaffer is fine. And and, he, and now he gets to inherit all of Bag End. But Mary and Pippin get a... And so do Gimli and Legolas. A lot of them get happy. Aragorn. They all get happy endings. Right. The ones who don't really... Gandalf finishes his mission, but Frodo is the one who doesn't get the... But he's the one who had to bear the... And, you know, and Sam has to say goodbye to Frodo and, you know, it ends with I'm back again or I'm home again or whatever. Well, part of it, I think also is just not understanding the real nature of how evil affects you. Right. And Harry bore this evil just like Frodo bore this evil. He literally had Voldemort inside him for, what, seven books? I mean. And so he should, it should not have been, yeah, he should have. Had a, and now a, he gets to just live yeah. a happy, normal, every... And my understanding is it Joe doesn't life. get dealt with that well or that interestingly in the play they did. Or whatever. Cursed Child. Yeah. My understanding is it gets dealt with pretty stupidly, but... Yeah. I don't know. Um, I think I read the plot synopsis one time. It was stupid. So it's not like, you know, I just want to double down here. It's not like Rawling chose from the list of available endings and she decided to be happy and we're just being grumpy and saying we don't like happy endings. She tried for a happy ending and she didn't make it credible because the only way to make a credible happy ending is for there to be a cost. Right. Tolkien also went for a happy ending and he realized that the only way, when you've evoked this great evil, the only way for the happy ending to be credible is for there to be a cost. I I won't stop saying it. or I won't stop saying it. I will stop saying it now, but I just think it's really important and it makes sense. Look, if you were to tell me before I watched and read these books that we're going to have 
nine characters. Is it nine? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to have nine characters. They're going to start a book. They're going to go on a journey together to fight the greatest evil the world has ever known. One of them's going to die in one of the earliest chapters. And from then on, nobody's going to die. There are going to be lots of death fake outs and they're all going to live happily ever after. I'm going to look at you and say, that sounds like a terrible book. That's insane. It's insane. Yeah. You cannot pull that off and have it not feel stupid and cheap. Yeah. And Tolkien comes back and says, actually, the last half of the last volume is just going to be somebody paying the price for all of this. That's all. It's going to be chapter after chapter. And we're going to watch it all unfold. Mm-hmm. In slow motion, actually. We're going to get more detail there yeah. than... And by the time it's done, there will be nothing cheap about it. Yeah. You will you will buy it all and you will love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is really sad and... It's super sad. The idea that Frodo and just super set sweet. off kind of cavalierly on this adventure that he really never came back from. Frodo's really, really does kind of die on Mount Doom. Yeah. You know, like... Well, Frodo... The Frodo that Frodo we knew... Frodo died the, 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 the second he picked the ring up off the floor... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frodo died when he said, I'll bear the ring to Mordor, though I do not know the way. All these little choices that just add up to, and then it, you know, it gives you these moments with Bilbo too that also make it, really? Frodo, I'm sorry that you had to bear this burden and not me. Mm-hmm. It should have been mine to bear. Well, and seeing old decrepit Bilbo at the end. That's kind of an extra kick in the yeah. pants or something like, oh man, you're kind of lathering on the bittersweet here, Tolkien. Like I get that Frodo had to pay a cost, but you want us to spend time with Bilbo when like he's losing his memory and falling asleep all the time. Like this this vibrant, lovable buffoon of a character that we watched through the Hobbit with is now well beyond his dotage. Right. I mean it's it's lovely. It's yeah. it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. But it's sweet to watch the other hobbits kind of be kind to him. But it's kind of sad. Did you, I guess I'm the only one that actually read this as a kid, right? I didn't really understand why the book didn't end back then. I mean, I was probably do. like nine or ten or something like that. I don't remember how old I was exactly. But it's like, oh, all the action's done. And now we're going to get a bunch of pageantry with Aragorn and people wandering around. Like I actually quit. The first read after Mount Doom. If I'm going to be completely honest, so did I. I got bogged down somewhere around the journey back to I was in my early 20s and I didn't trust the ending. Mm -hmm. And I had already seen Peter Jackson give us seven false endings. Yeah. And I just assumed it was going to go on and on and on and be like, now you should feel sad and now you should feel sadder. And uh, so this is my first time actually reading Return Mm -hmm. of the King all the way through. And I'm disappointed with myself that I was so cynical and... No, it's worth trusting Tolkien. Like, yeah, he nails it. I, I will say the concession I'll make to my younger, more ADD self is that the stuff before we get to Hobbiton maybe goes on a little bit long, like Aragorn's coronation and all that kind of... Yeah. There's a lot of pageantry and Tolkien's a little bit more well, interested fa- in fa- that. Fair Mary and Eowyn happen after that. Yeah. Well, we don't want to end this podcast without talking about there's, that. There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. That you just maybe don't quite want to care about or think you should care about or understand the purpose of. But yeah, this time through Fair Mary and Eowyn. That part was really sweet. It's a great it scene. Especially, yeah. yeah. A lot of this just does better after you've aged mm-hmm. and more experience. Yep. The Scouring of the Shire is a better chapter now thinking of i mean we are now actually more the age of what those hobbits are supposed to be thinking of yourself coming home and having to do that for your people and it's just well and if i may be so bold the scouring of the shire feels more like the evil that we have to put up with today yeah i was gonna say hashtag you know uh the riots and looting and yeah petty 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 that's what i'm gonna say it's more petty politicians it's a more more pedestrian evil Mm mm-hmm but it's still an evil that needs to be faced. And all it takes is a couple of people who faced real evil and have the courage to stand up and blow a horn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the good people of Hobbiton come out of the woodwork and are ready to do their part. Yeah. Frodo wants it to be without bloodshed and that's not the way it works. No. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I don't, I don't know exactly what it was before, but I, I just 
Dude, I really loved all of that stuff. I'm glad that we did all of those things. The lowly state of Soromon and Wormtongue yeah. is pretty great. And that's their fate, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I still, and maybe this is just Peter Jackson poisoning, I do find it hard to accept that Saruman, who could stand on the tower and command the hordes of Isengard and could strike terror in Gandalf and mm-hmm. imprison Gandalf and... Is reduced to this. Is reduced to that and cowering before Frodo and Sam and Merry and Pippin. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't, really he couldn't. He didn't have something up his sleeve. He did, yeah. A couple he, spells left. Yeah. I wonder if that isn't just Peter Jackson because if you think about what we actually see in the book... You know, we don't get like a, a wizard fight. We don't get Soramon standing on a ledge commanding armies like Hitler. We that stuff's all implied, but no, but we do get him sending the storm. Yeah. That blocks Caradras. We do get him imprisoning Gandalf. We do get him actually commanding hordes, whether or not he's standing on a, a ledge like Hitler. Yeah, I guess my point is we, we don't do we don't get him... scenes. Like we know that he's doing those things. Yeah. We don't see them. I mean, it's hard to imagine Christopher Lee, who we've seen standing on the top of the tower going, basha, basha, it's hard to imagine right. him right, cowering to a cowering hobbit. before a hobbit. Yeah. It's hard to imagine Christopher Lee cowering before anybody. But Saruman was greater than Gandalf. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And one of the only forces that could pose a real threat to Sauron in all of Middle Earth. There's a reason he was the head of his order. It's still, whatever we've seen in Gandalf... Sauron is, or Saruman is at least his, is at least a match for him. Mm-hmm. You know, and his staff was broken and maybe there's more to the staff than, and the lore of wizardry, but I don't know. It still felt like a, but I still loved it. I love that that's what it came to. Yeah. I love the idea of it. If the, the how and whatever didn't quite, and I'm sure some nerd listening to this can be like, actually, let me explain to you. Well, I might be that nerd because, um, well, maybe not quite, but I know in the, how do you say it? Silmarillion? The Silmarillion? Silmarillion? In the Silmarillion. Silmarillion? In the Salmanarian? Salmanarian, yeah. In the Salmanarian. There's a lot of stuff about, or at least there is some stuff about the angelic beings that these guys were. And there's something about, I don't know, some nerd can write in and tell us the exact, if you're a nerd, write in, call in, 1-800-NOBODY-CARES. Sauron, I'm just going to look it up, is that all right? Sauron and Gandalf. Yeah, here it is. So without going too deep into Tolkien's lore, at a certain point, the god figure of this universe decides to send these angels to Earth to help fight Sauron. Karamo, I guess that's Sor- the guy in human form, he becomes known as Soromon, was one of those who volunteered, whereas the last one, Olorin, later Gandalf, was commanded by Manwi to go too. It was from this point that Karamo began to be jealous of Olorin due to Varda's decision to send Olorin not as the third Istari, but as the second. So I don't know if any of that made any sense, but basically when these angels have to go fight Sauron are, are going to take on human flesh. Sauron's like, send me, send me, send me. The God figure is like, eh, we're going to send Gandalf and we're going to actually make him. He's going to get the dignity of being the second chosen or something like that. So even in their spiritual dimension, Sauron had some kind of petty uh, jealousy of Gandalf or something like that. That's always huh. been a motivating factor, which you can read a lot more about in the not at all dry and very exciting History of Middle Earth. Known as the Silmarillion. Known as the... Maybe it'll be in the Amazon series. The Salmonarian. Salmonellian. Um, anyway, I don't know if that actually answers your question at all, but eh. I remembered reading that somewhere. In some sense, Soromon's always been corrupted and petty, or at least tending in that direction. This did not come out of nowhere, even when they were in their angelic form, which for anybody who doesn't know, in Tolkien, the wizards are like... Angels. Angels, they're like... Angelic beings. They're these spiritual creatures that have put on human flesh in order to serve, serve man for a short time. and Serve the free peoples of Middle-earth. The free peoples of Middle-earth. And Sauron is a fallen angelic being. Yeah, Sauron's like, but he's higher tier than one of them. He's like, uh, right. if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a long time, but I think 
He's not quite Satan. No, he's not. There's another guy, Morgath, I think is his name, who's more satanic, more straight Satan. There's, I, I, what I want to say is that the God type creature, whatever he's called, Al maybe, starts to sing creation into existence. And then these really powerful divine beating, beings join the melody and make a harmony and they're all creating. And then there's, you know, one of the five is singing a discordant note and he becomes Morgoth, the Lord of Evil. But he's eventually thrown through a portal into the outer darkness and there he is to this day. But his servant, Sauron, becomes Sauron. Sauron. So, okay. Um, so Sauron's like Beelzebub. T- yeah, he's like Tyr. He's a Molech. He's like a if Satan is the king, then Sauron would be like one of his princes or one of his dukes or something like that. But yeah. the one that managed to assume power after he was dethroned and thrown through the portal. So anyway, can read about all that stuff. And the Silmarillion. And the Silmarillion. Uh, anything else to say about the, the scouring of the Shire and all that? Do you think that Tolkien, is he on Frodo's side when Frodo is a pacifist or whatever or what was what's the point of having frodo be like no more bloodshed no is that supposed to be like frodo has the right idea or maybe frodo's just ptsd right now or i think frodo's just tired of bloodshed yeah that's what i think too i think i don't know that it, it's quite ptsd but frodo's just seen enough and his had t- enough his time of fighting is done it's not like he yells at pippin and mary once they've had to kill he just doesn't he's not going to take part in it pretty convenient frodo you know when you've done what he's done maybe he gets to have a little bit of a break (laughs) okay maybe i should get him some slack (laughs) he did save the universe come to think of it by the way the eye of sauron was watching those eagles could not have made it to mount doom (laughs) so we're going there are we well i just saw a video recently and yes i clicked on it folks i did i don't apologize because i think what we've said is that what I said early in you know podcast like earlier this year, months ago now, was that the Eagles, because of their hierarchy or whatever, they're not they're, they're just not gonna do it. But actually the Eagles, I think, would be happy to do with it, do it. But Sauron's watching that you can't make it to Mount Doom. You can't just fly a suicide mission there. Like he's got Nazgul. The only reason this works is because A all Sauron's attention is in this one place and everything's happened the way it's happened. So you're a defender of of the whole i thought you were suddenly jumping in and saying the eagles at the end are stupid no no no. i'm saying i'm there's a the whole why couldn't they just hop on eagles and yeah no i'm I'm attacking that they couldn't if they had hopped on eagles they would be dead and the eagles would be dead they'd never make it sauron's watching sauron's watching he's way too powerful it's his territory he's got nazgul he's got everything he needs there's no way they come close to mount doom yeah that's not happening. The only way to make the mission work is to have a little dorky hobbit sneak in where Sauron, which, which they basically say, but they never explicitly say, let's ride some eagles. No, idiot. Obviously, Sauron, that would never work. Yep. Um, but that's implicit. There you go. Sauron's already dead. Down. Therefore, the eagle and the Nazgul have been overthrown. Therefore, the eagles can, uh, go. The eagles can uh, go rescue. I think you should write an essay about this, Nathan. I really think I should. We did promise last episode that we talk a little bit more about Eowyn and Faramir and how what happens there actually dispels the notion that this is a feminist character. So let's talk about that. Well, I mean, he basically describes Eowyn as a very cold and frigid and emotionally disconnected woman. And Faramir knows it. And Faramir decides that he's going to love her warm and love her sweet and... Love her into softness. He's going to love her. Sure, some tough love. Yeah. He's going to warm her up. He's going to be the rock that she needs, and he's going to cultivate her and be tender with her, be patient with her as she thaws out. And it's what she needs. It's what Aragorn couldn't give her. And she comes to, she has enough wisdom about her to come to see it. After pouting for. Yeah. Days or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, she goes and pouts about it. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. That's not really a very feminist portraiture, come to think of it. No, it's a pretty, I was about to say accurate portraiture, but uh, 
Brendan, I think it's a, I think people know we're not feminists. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing listening to this podcast if they're surprised I by that. I think it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know any women who are like that. Who needed a, a good man to take them in hand. Mold them into the woman they could be. Hmm. Well, I think it's, I do think it's sexist and I don't want to. Have anything to do with it? Have anything to do with it. Well, there you go. Yeah. There we go. I guess I've complained so much about the way that Tolkien portrays women. Do we think that this the, this chapter ultimately mm, makes Tolkien better retroactively? Like, were you prepared to forgive him the 14 other weird kind of Ice Maiden characters because of the way that he handles yep. this one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, really the only other one is Arwen. Yeah, well, she's, she's, an she's elf, barely so. in there. She's an elf, so she gets to be the weird... Fae, I think, is the word. She gets to be the Fae Elizabethan sort of queen image. He can have that. I still want to know what Tolkien's relationship with his wife is. A, B, I find it... He likes to take her in the woods and watch her dance. B, I think it's weird that when you put that together, I start to get a rather weird idea of what Tolkien's marriage was like. And any man that has the guts to write about a relationship where it says like, and you will tell the... Wild men that you have tamed the ice maiden of whatever. <laughs> like, man, I wonder what your relationship with Mrs. Tolkien was like, man. She was the ice maiden. He I, was the he was the tamer. He was the thaw king. He was the thaw king. <laughs> <laughs> it's the return of the thaw king. <laughs> fire king is what you were. Oh, the fire, fire king. king. <laughs> yeah, the thaw king. Ah, uh, man, he definitely, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Tolkien's whole viewpoint on the ladies, maybe it's really my creepy viewpoint on the ladies that I'm reading into it or something like that, but somehow the whole thing makes me just uh, 5% uncomfortable. But, you know, we'll kick the old pig skin around in, uh, what does Tolkien call it? Valinor? Where do they go? In the Grey Havens? Where, yeah. where are they sailing to? I don't know, Nathan. You're the nerd. Where are they going? <laughs> I don't know, Brandon. You knew about Morgoth. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Okay. You guys have never told, you're telling me you never spent hours <laughs> pouring over the minutiae of no. this Almonarian? Yeah, I don't know. I'll ask Tolkien about it one day. According to the one wiki to rule them all. Yes. Grey Havens, known as Mithlond, was an elvish port city on the Gulf of Loon in the elven realm of Linden and Middle-earth. And I assume that it's going to tell me that the elves... Use Grey Havens as a port to sail, sail to, but... It doesn't. Valinor. I really think it is Alas. called Valinor. Alas. Alas. <laughs> yes. You wax. The Alas. ring bearers, Bilbo Baggins and Frodo Baggins accompanied them to Valinor, the Gandalf, Gladriel, and Elrond. Years later, Samwise Gamgee did likewise, himself being a ring bearer, though briefly. Hmm. Valinor. Stealing from ancient myths much? Tolkien, drawing on Norse mythology Norse and mythology. Greek mythology and stuff. The Undying Lands. You hack. Disclaimer, I don't think that Tolkien was a hack. <sighs> also, if you understand your linguistics, it simply means the land across the sea. That's kind of cool, actually. Guys. Apparently, according to this thing. Let's rank Lord of the Rings, the three books. Or should we rank the six books? Can we Ooh. do it? Sure. Why not? Right. Well, first know. of all, how many ring wraiths out of seven would you give? Or are there nine ring wraiths? How many nine ring wraiths? Nine. But they're bad guys. What's something good? How many fellowship people, members out of nine, would you give to Lord of the Rings, Brandon? Nine. Jake? Nine. I'm going to give it two. I hated this book. <laughs> 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 Read between the lines, folks. No, I loved it. It's great. Arguably one of the most important and coolest and best works of fantasy ever written. Now, let's rank the six books, then let's rank the three books. Right under Game of Thrones. Right under Game of Thrones. Right under The Sword of Shannara. Mm, let me see if I can do this. Four, six, or six, four. Are you working your way from best? Top, top to best to worst. Yeah. Four and six are the two best. That's Frodo and Sam's journey. I would argue with that, Jake. That'll make for more interesting podcasting. I would say two, six, four, two, six, four. We're going six, four, two. Two, six, four, one. I'm doing six, four, two, one. Five, or no, what's uh, with the other good one? Three, 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 five. Five, yeah. Yeah. 
So it's really six, four, two, how you rank those. Cause I think we all probably go one, three, five. Yeah. One, three, five. One, three, five is, yeah. Okay. Although I might actually go three, one, five. Really? So three is Helms Deep and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm, uh, I still put one above it. One, three, five. Yeah, that's close. But one, ha- one's, I think you probably liked one the least of any of us because you had the least patience for like, more trees, Mr. Frodo. Exactly. Whereas I was just Look. happy, like, there were some monsters and evil trees yeah. and barrel yeah. lights and stuff. Yeah, all the Tom Bombadil stuff. And the old forest is pretty creepy. Like, it had more action schlock stuff that I like than I think I remembered it did. So, yeah. I think I'll still go one, three, five. So, what do you guys, so you have six? I think I, I think I go six, four, two. And I go two, two six, four. four. I might go four six two. And my but argument for two six four is Minds of Moria. I mean, it just doesn't yeah, get any better. I, I think I go four six. I think I go four six two. So you just and Jake are the that, same. Just because that no, he goes. I six, said six four two. Yeah, sorry, um, but I think I can go four six two. But I, I think, think only because of the, I think because of that scene with Shelob. Shelob like, is oh boy, I wasn't even thinking about that's Shelob. One of the most moving scenes in the entire book. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, man, that's pretty great. But six has the other high moments. I don't think that you can put a book in your top slot that doesn't feature Gandalf, the, one of the greatest characters ever to appear on paper in the form of ink. So yes, I can. I just did it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you make a fair point. Um, so I'm still conceding. Just because you can't emotionally separate yourself from Ga- the Gandalf of your childhood and have a mature view of these books, Nathan, doesn't mean the rest of us can't. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I really prefer to use these books as uh, chew toy. So your top one. Is <laughs> I, I used to be a dog, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so your top one is the one where he dies, like right at the beginning. No, Brandon, the Balrog, Jake, the Balrog. I mean, like in Minds of Moria, yeah, there's, cool. there's no more. Ev- yeah, it's cool. I mean, I there's, there's no more evocative set piece. We're talking about shade, like minimal shades of. But it is it is here. true that the even numbered books. It's like Star Trek movies. Is it? I don't know. Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, An Undiscovered Country are the good ones, Motion Picture, Search for Spock, and The Final Frontier. Suck. Wait, no. Not a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Guess I I walked into that one. (laughs) Two, 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 four, and six. Those are the three best. Yeah. Yeah. And one, three, and five. Those are... The three least best. I mean, I'll agree that one is the best of the. I think so. I think we do all agree yeah. that one's the best of those, and that five is the worst. Yeah. Yep. Of all, this is just really how you rank two, four, and six, and so two is going to give you Moria. That's the real high point of mm-hmm. two. Four is going to give you Shelob, and then six is going to give you the destruction of the Ring, the scouring of the Shire, yep. the happy and sad endings, and the. Departure of the fellowship and all that stuff. I am happy with my decision. Four six two. I think it comes down. You guys would like. You're happy to go to a restaurant and it's like I'm not getting fries. I'm not getting this. I'm just getting the steak. The steak. Whereas I'm like, I'll take a slightly less good steak, but I'm also getting a balanced diet. Like I'm gonna have the whole fellowship together. Gonna get some Gandalf, some Aragorn in there. Gonna get some orc fights, some Balrog, some like a delicious meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's delicious. <laughs> You know, like, I want that asparagus on my plate, actually. That's part of the dining experience. And you guys are yeah. just like, I'm nom nom steak. Yeah. You know, I just don't feel that way about it. I think we get everything that you want in book six. You know, you get Sam and Frodo being awesome and the ring disappearing and you get Gollum and you get everybody coming together and spending time together, all of them. The king and queen bowing to Frodo and Sam, and you get some of that just sort of like awesome vibe of we're in a new age and new things are happening and the old things are passing away, and then we have to go home and we get all that bittersweetness and the scouring of the Shire and we see how everybody's grown and changed and we say goodbye to Frodo. Like, I don't know, that seems pretty complete and <laughs> total to me i guess there's no gandalf the gray though and he's kind of yeah, my he, hero he, no but there's gandalf the white yeah gandalf the white's stick in the mud compared to gandalf the gray oh 
So basically Gandalf after book two sucks. This greatest figure in all of literature. Yeah. yeah. He drops off a little bit. <laughs> and I think um, we're just finding out that Nathan really likes French fries. <laughs> 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 I do not deny it. Forget steak. I just yeah. want the fries. Yeah. <laughs> Can we go to McDonald's? It's like uh, this past weekend, I uh, went to a baseball tournament with Abe and he wanted to eat McDonald's for every meal and could not be convinced that there were things better. It's his second favorite restaurant in the whole world. Wow. Second only to Mother Bears. And so like I took him to a nice burger restaurant and everything, like the fries, not McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Nothing was McDonald's. Like, but were they? Were they McDonald's fries, Jake? You could have saved yourself money there, but they were not. I could have, but then I would have eaten. You would have had to have McDonald's. I would have had now. to have McDonald's. Yeah. So yeah, one day he'll grow up to find out that you know the White Wizard is a tier above the Gray. Yeah, Brandon, you don't one, really believe that. I know you have to make <laughs> I, rhetorical arguments and stuff, but I don't believe that. Mister right. Stuffington, the White Wizard, <laughs> is not as cool. Mister Stuffington. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> oh, you're right. Gandalf the Grey is awesome. But yeah. Still, Gandalf I, the Grey is like an awesome pants, and Gandalf the White, he's kind of Mister Stuffington. <laughs> Let's face it, Wizard uh, Stuffington. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mister Stuffington. And he's got his moments, but uh, I hate him now. Yeah. Thanks well, to that. When you read this book, you should substitute Mister Stuffington every time it says Gandalf's name after he falls into that abyss. All right, now you got to rank the three books, Fellowship, Towers, and Return. It will be interesting to me to see if you guys' view on the best book influences your view of the best book. That's really hard. Because you've actually got the best. I think we'd all agree you have one of the best and the worst book combined in the same book. I'm going with uh, Two Towers. For worst? For best. For best. Interesting. Because it... You're ushering a lot of time with Treebeard into that pantheon and a lot of Aragorn and his yes, buddies but I, running I am, around. But I am also getting Helm's Deep. You are. And I'm also getting Shelob. I'm getting some cool, fun golems, Gollum stuff. And Is that your final answer? Uh, you suddenly paused there. Did you have second thoughts? Get cool well, I know that you're going to say book one. I don't think there's any question that you should fall that way. But book one is... More human, more relatable, more fun, more funny, more of the things that I like. I guess it's got it's better got some developed real action. In it, though, you know, maybe it was just expectations. I think a lot of this is influenced probably by expectations. I'm really saying something profound there, I know, but I expected them getting from the Shire to Rivendell to be a lot more boring than it actually it was. was between the Barrow Whites and this evil tree. I agree with that. The creepy forest and Tom Bombadil and the ring wraiths were really evocative. Really, all I could live without is old Tom Bombadil. I could definitely live without old TB. uh, Tuberculosis. I I mean, I'm gonna go. I think I'd go one, three, two. Which sucks that I have to relegate Shelob like that. But eh, maybe I go one, two, three. I don't know. That's tough. If I'm going, which ones would I be the likeliest to go back and read? Well, see, you're, we're not going to do that. If you're going to be, if you're going to do the most likely to go back and read. Of course, you're going to start with fellowship, right? I mean. You're either going to start at the beginning and reread the whole thing, or you're going to pick. Book you'll just cherry pick, actually. You'll cherry pick. You'll pick, you'll pick book four. You'll pick book six. You'll pick book two. You Or you'll go back to scenes. Yeah, that's what right? I choose. Right? Like, so it's a bad choice. None of us are going to go back and actually read. Two Towers by itself. I choose reading Two Towers without having to read book three. I don't know. That's t- <laughs> <laughs> we were offering you Sophie's choice, Brandon. Yeah, just just save both the kids. I think that'd be better, actually. <laughs> uh, I mean, with book, I actually enjoy the early chapters in book two with uh, Uruk High and Miriam Pippin when they hunt some more. I don't mind Treebeard. I like Theoden and Rohan. It's enough of the Western feel to make that appealing to me. And I love book four. So I, I kind of think I might be with Jake here. I think book two. And I think it's two, one, three. Yeah, I think that's it too. Two, one, three. Yeah. Very interesting. The other thing about- I think it's a very close tie for me with two and one. I think it's a close tie between all three of them. I mean, that's the real answer, but- that's a The other thing, if we're just talking about it in terms of going back to it, 
the best parts of book three aren't going to hit without having been on the journey mm-hmm. in the same way. I think three has to be the last because it's got the worst book and then it's got the book that requires the most emotional baggage setup being brought to it and mm-hmm. that you're just not going to, I mean, you're going to have it from years of having read it and watched it, but it's just not the same as having the journey fresh in your mind. Whereas you can jump into Moria or you can jump into Shelob's Lair. That's always fun and exciting. Yeah, that's really true. So, wait a second. Where did you land, Brandon? What's 213. Your, 213. And, and Jake, you're the same? That's right. And I'm, you know, I think I'm actually going to go 123. Which is degrees of awesomeness, once again. These are great. Yeah, we all agree I, th- I think that. in terms of actual objective craft, I think we do see a, maybe a deterioration from one to two to three. But I think that two still has, I mean, three. I was going to make Indiana Jones comparisons. I think you should make them. The Last Crusade, the third installment of Indiana Jones, when it comes to any of the action, feels lazy. Mm-hmm. Feels tired. Yep. But the emotional work they do throughout it and the payoffs they have for this character that we love, they did put elbow grease there. Yeah. And that's what Return of the King is. Return of the King, none of the, nothing lives up to Moria or uh, Helm's Deep or Shelob. Mm-hmm. Nothing. No one. There's not a scene. Yep. Not an action scene that lives up to any of those three action scenes but it's just emotional payoffs you know i I think that's true and i think oh it's probably says something about each of us what we like i mean i i tend to fellowship definitely has the most well-developed set pieces the best action scenes but minus shelob which is a huge argument in favor of number two but and helms deep but you know i gotta say helms deep did not live up i built it up so much in my imagination as a kid i think i think it's probably pretty awesome it just compared very subjectively what i expected of it and what it actually in fact gave me and is it's like okay it's got some decapitations and stuff that little nathan thought were pretty sweet but there's actually not that much going on there not compared to a balrog showdown certainly or a a cave troll fight or a a watcher by the water kind of guy i was gonna say and build a pony and Bill the Pony, yeah. Bill the Pony. I really rank these books by how much time we spend with Bill the Pony. Oh, there's your secret. There you go. Favorite character? Bill turned out okay. Wait, is Bill the Pony your favorite character? <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, yes, obviously. William the Pony. Brandon, uh, who's your favorite character? We know Jake loves, he's a big Bill the Pony advocate. <laughs> yeah. Get off the gray. Get off the gray? Yeah. Samwise Gamgee. Samwise is a close second. Yeah, I'd be neck and neck between those two. I mean, does anybody want to throw anybody else in the mix? There's nobody else in the I mix. I don't think so, no. Gandalf, is Gandalf the greatest mentor mentor yes. in fiction? Yeah, he's better yes. than Dumbledore. Better than Dumbledore, certainly better than Obi-Wan. Ob- Obi-Wan. He's better. Yeah. Better than Yoda. I don't yeah. know a better one. Better than any Merlin I've ever read. Yeah, um, yeah Merlin's always a weirdo. Yeah, Merlin's a weirdo that gets trapped in a rock by a lady. Yeah. That's not a good thing to happen. Nope. Get us another few bucks on Patreon, folks, and we'll talk all about old Merlin. And Morgana. And Morgana. All those guys and ladies. Yep. All right. uh, Yeah, Jake, your final thoughts on Lord of the Rings. How did it hit you this time? And uh, was it better, worse? How would you sum up your experience of Lord of the Rings at Um, this point in your life? It was different. I mean, it didn't hit in the same ways at all as it did before. Uh, on my first pass, I was very caught up in the first pass and the good and the evil and the big epic stuff and was happier to live with Aragorn and Gandalf and Legolas and Gimli than with our hobbits and this go around. I just wanted to be with Sam and Frodo. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I was surprised by the places where it didn't feel as special as I thought it would. Mm Mm-hmm but also really happy with how much of it really held up and was great. Yeah, I think I felt pretty much exactly the same way. There was certain things that didn't feel as special, but then there were things that I didn't even remember where like Frodo watching the stars with those elves early on that actually felt really special. I certainly connected to a lot of the the fae, my new favorite word, 
or my old favorite word, whatever. The you, face stuff was you and token, token both, and that is what a lot of goes into. That is a lot. Of, I'm sure that's a lot of why I liked Fellowship the best. Is it's got the most evocative kind of creepy forests and old dungeons and lived in weird kind of you know the Watchers, mm-hmm. uh, not the Watchers, but whoever those those big statue guys are stuff like that that stuff's all the most developed and that's what i really loved about it this time was tolkien's world building i think as a kid as a young red-blooded male i was a lot more interested in the action and in the heroism and i think probably young nathan shaded in like just naturally shaded in a character like aragorn and gave him dimensions i couldn't even tell you what but i think he just lived and breathed for me as a young man in a way that now he feels more like a stick figure like who is this guy he's just the guy who stands up and says throws off i'm elisar yeah gandalf weirdly or not weirdly but gandalf doesn't feel diminished like that he still feels every bit the combo of scary and wise and awesome that he always did but aragorn certainly felt like a more shallow figure in particular yeah, I, I loved it this go round. Um, I did the first time too. I was not saying that I didn't, but there were spots that surprised me. I think I was with Jake. Certain spots didn't live up to what I remembered them, but there were some spots that lived up to beyond what I remembered them too. So and I think it just has to do with reading it at a different time of life. Like I said, the scouring of the Shire, all these things that didn't mean as much to me then. Absolutely. I think get, being older now and having your place and your people matter more. As you get more invested in life, that starts to mean more to you. And so your home and your community. You go away and yeah. come back and everything has changed. And yeah. Yeah. So that matters. And so it's just, it, it depends on when you're reading and that's for any novel, but still. And your um, job's to take what you've learned and restore what was good and build new things that are better and yeah, accept the things that can't be recovered. Yep. And so and I- And die. That's right. And so that's, I or like get that. on a boat and sail away. I get loved on, it. Yep. So I got that boat ready. Yep. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> See ya, Jake. <laughs> See ya. Jake doesn't get to go to Valinor with He's us? He's got to go to Gondor and be the king. Oh, okay. Cool. Good for him. Evansville, but same place. Yeah. And as far as some of those things not holding up, it's like, eh, how many times can you be excited by Indiana Jones running from the boulder? You know, well, yeah. certain things are so iconic that eventually they're going to lose their potency. Right. Yeah. You know, this is not, it's not Indiana Jones running from the boulder fault that that's the one thing that lives with me after I watch that movie and I remember it and replay it in my mind. And then when I come back to it, it feels a little smaller and yeah, not as exciting. It's the grace notes that you go back for, not necessarily the big moments. And Lord of the Rings certainly has plenty of those. Yep. All right. Well, Jake's got a long ride to Evansville, so... Maybe we'll just say thank you, patrons. Thank you, guys. Thanks for supporting us. Go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. We do shout you out in almost every episode, but every once in a while. This is a longer episode. This is a longer episode, and um, we really don't have any more time. So <laughs> we're going to. But we love you guys. We do love you, and uh, we'll be sure to shout you out even shoutier next time. Ah. Ah. I think me and Brandon will be back with some thoughts next week on something exciting. Who knows? Who knows? But it's going to be good, whatever it is. Yeah. And then we'll be back to talk about scary stories and 1984 and whatever else is coming up. Dune, soon enough. Dune. Dune. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks. I hope you enjoyed your year of Tolkien. Sorry, we never got to talk about Father Giles of Ham. Maybe we still will. I don't know. We might, we might do another you Tolkien episode never know. or two. Flip over to Sanity at the Movies and listen to our reviews of the Peter Jackson movies. Yep. You can f- hear me and Jake be very dismissive about the two towers. Well, we're about to do Return of the King soon. Yep. And we definitely did. We weren't entirely. We talked about, we talked about what a difficult adaptation the two towers is. And Brennan looks like the top in Inception that's just kind of wobbling and we don't know whether he's going to fall over. So It's true. He's just wobbling. He's just wobbling. Yeah. So I think it's time to cut to the credits now, folks. I am the Kwisatz Haderach. (laughs) 
Is that <laughs> that cannot be the note we end our Lord of the Rings discussion? On. <laughs> Perhaps there's been too much artfulness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't believe we did an entire year's worth of episodes on Tolkien, and then Brandon chose to end them with "I am <laughs> the Queen's Hatterack." Fly, you fools! <laughs> there we go. <laughs>